Welcome to Common Ground, a new podcast from the Labour Party Irish Society. Thanks for tuning in and joining us on this, our first episode. We'll be bringing you some of the finest and most topical content from the world of all things Labour Irish. In our first episode, we are remembering two of the great civil rights leaders, John Hume and John Lewis. It's hosted by author and broadcaster Emma DeBerry, with Florence El Shalomi MP, Senator Rebecca Moynihan, Mark Durkin and Martin Luther King III. Thanks to our debut guests and listeners. We hope you enjoy the podcast and that you'll be tuning in again soon. Hi, I'm Emma Dabry. I would just love to know more, a little bit more about what Hume and Lewis were like as people and just to talk a little bit about their phenomenal, phenomenal achievements. Uh, I had the privilege of working uh, for John Hume for uh, so many years. Uh, yes, John was awarded prizes as a peacemaker, uh, but he started out uh, as a change maker. Uh, and it was that commitment to peaceful change making uh, that was in many ways inspired uh, by the speeches and the nonviolent campaign actions of uh, Martin Luther King and his friends like uh, John Lewis. John Lewis made a point of coming to Derry. John Hume was stressing uh, to John Lewis just how much the American Civil Rights Movement had been uh, the inspiration for him and so many others uh, in Northern Ireland. And John Lewis was just genuinely touched at hearing from John and so many other people in, from the Civil Rights Movement uh, to know that the change-making effort that he and his colleagues had been involved in uh, had been an inspiration for others and remained an inspiration throughout all of the difficulties all of the darknesses and desperation uh, of the troubles, uh, that non-violent message uh, remained at the core of so much of what John Hume uh, did. Thank you. Thank you. Let me first say uh, how honored I am to uh, be a part of this discussion and with each of uh, the ladies and gentlemen who are, are sharing today. Um, it, is, it is truly uh, an extraordinary honor, uh, certainly to talk about um, the phenomenal contributions that John Lewis and, and John Hume made uh, in the respective societies as well as the world. It's very interesting to note that both of these gentlemen's names were John. Um, I think that's an, a, a unique parallel to start with. Um, John Lewis, I knew... Um, probably from my earliest memories when I was a young child who was in and out of our home as my father became one of the preeminent, uh, if not the preeminent nonviolent uh, leader of the modern civil rights movement. Dad was not alone, but he was certainly uh, one of the uh, leaders of, of, of the movement. And John Lewis, uh, born in Alabama, living in a city, Troy, Alabama, where my father had three major victories um, but John Lewis was inspired and heard my father, um, as a young student, probably around 14 or 15, he said he used to listen to his sermons, uh, on the radio. And, um, when my father's was leading, uh, the Montgomery bus boycott in 1955, somewhere around those earlier years, uh, John Lewis was asked to come. Uh, to meet with my father in Montgomery. And 
dad said to him, essentially, he shared, are you the boy from Troy? And they developed a relationship. Of course, John Lewis became uh, a leader of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, uh, which were activist students who were engaged in uh, nonviolent social change. And advanced on up to 1965, when the voting rights uh, campaign began. Uh, John Lewis was one of those who led the first march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, along with Hosea Williams, who was a lieutenant of my father's, uh, and about um, a couple hundred or so, maybe three or 400 demonstrators who marched across that bridge peacefully. And they began to kneel and pray. And of course, the police advanced and uh, beat John Lewis and others. Uh, who had a terrible concussion, but he continued to come back and endure in light of uh, what was happening. Later on, he became the head of an organization called Voter Education Project, which was focused on voting and teaching people. And then ultimately, uh, he became a United States congressman, where over a period of time, he was called the conscience of the Congress because he always operated in a, a nonviolent, a, a bridge builder, bringing people together uh, throughout his life, uh, which was just uh, amazing. Uh, he would bring colleagues who were Democrat and Republican every year to do this march across the bridge as an observance. And of course, in 2013, unfortunately, the Voting Rights Act in the United States was struck down by the United States Supreme Court and we've been fighting to regain that. And currently in Congress today, most recently after John Lewis's passing, Congress passed a bill, uh, the John Lewis Voter Registration Restoration Act. Uh, the Senate has not passed it. And so there's still a lot of work to do there. But let me quickly segue uh, into uh, my meeting of, 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 of the great John Hume because um, I met him uh, in 1999 when my mother uh, as the president of the Martin Luther King Center, actually presented him with the Martin Luther King Jr. Nonviolent uh, Peace Prize. And um, that was the first experience. And of course, I was, uh, in 2013, I had the opportunity uh, to be at Gilder Hall Square in Derry. And again, I was just in the presence of, of Mr. Hume and his spirit and what he represented for so many uh, what he represents and represented for so many around the nation and, and world uh, was just a phenomenal experience uh, that I certainly uh, will, will never forget. Rebecca, um, if you would like to talk about your, yeah, your thoughts on Hume, on John Hume, and what his work and legacy means to you, and how Hume's work shaped the whole of Ireland, and what does he mean to you as part of the next generation of political leaders in the country. I grew up not only in the legacy of John Hume, and I very much came of age um, in around the Good Friday Agreement. So my, my family was from the north, um, and so I was very aware of um, the troubles and the, the the part of the north out there from South Tyrone, um, the you know the discrimination uh, that they would have very much felt um, living up in what was a, a divided island. But can I just speak a little bit on, on Martin Luther King as well, because I, I, I think that he's also had a massive impact 
in terms of, and you, you heard Mark Durkin talking about it there, is that the Northern Irish civil rights movement was very much inspired by the civil rights movement that was happening in the US at the time. So for me, the, the large looming figures um, in, in terms of my, my life, in terms of progressive politics were some Martin Luther King, John Hume and the local island he was trying to create, and then the struggle that was still ongoing at the time um, with uh, Nelson Mandela. In terms of John Hume, I, I think it's worth kind of going back and having a look at not just the, le the legacy of the troubles and the peace agreements and the Sunningdale agreement and the Anglo-Irish agreement and the work that he did that, but also the very fundamentals of what got him involved and active in politics. That kind of almost raw rallying cry that came out because of those social issues, not the constitutional issues so much, but it was those raw social issues that got people there um, and active. But I'm very lucky to have grown up in a situation when I was young and we used to go up north um, to my family. I remember crossing over. I had two, two cousins who, live, who lived in London would come over um, and we would be in the car and then we would have, you know, the big guns coming at us um, having a look, asking where we were going, what we were doing. I now can zip up up and down the north and not notice when you're passing anything. And, and that in itself is absolutely extraordinary. Um, the fact that the first thing that you notice is that the letterboxes have changed colour, as opposed to you're standing there with a guard as a young kid and you're absolutely terrified as to why this is happening and not be able to understand that. And that is because of John Hume. And it's because of the, the bravery of John Hume. Um, in the early 90s, um, there was a sustained campaign um, among certain newspapers down here when he took the very, very brave decision to bring in people who were engaged in paramilitary activities and bring them into peace talks. Because of the bravery, knowing that he was going into this, knowing that in political terms his party might end up being eclipsed, he made a very brave move to bring in people who, to a lot of people, it was unconscionable to talk to, that they were still engaged in, you know, you know active terrorism, active war. And the leap of faith that he took at that stage, without knowing how it was going to work out, and people always mocked John Hume for having the single transferable speech. But the single transferable speech repeated over 30 years actually began to have an impact. And I'm very lucky to grow up um, on an island and a, a, that is now at peace for all the problems and for all the troubles and the social issues. That is the one thing that we don't have to worry about. And it is because of the vision of John Hume. There's not a person on this island and there's not a young person growing up or being born in Northern Ireland or Ireland that doesn't owe a huge debt um, to John Hume and that leap of faith that he took. Flo, I would like to come to you now. For me, as a black person growing up in Brixton, the inspiration and, and just watching what was happening in America, learning about the greats, including Martin Luther King, including John Lewis, and how that had a big, really big impact on what was going on around us in Brixton. And I think we took so much inspiration from, from their powerful message of how you can make a difference and how you can make your cause heard in a non-violence way. Because one of the issues which I think we have in the UK, unfortunately, is this portrayal 
of black people being violent, being aggressive. Um, you know, I've had that portrayal of me as a relatively new MP of being the angry black woman. But it's because we are so passionate about some of the issues that are still going on in 2020. Issues including criminalization of black people. Issues including the fact that more black people are predominantly within the mental health system. Issues with high unemployment rates within the black diaspora. Issues that we know that actually until we work together collectively how the greats, including John Hume, did, to try and make our voices heard and to try and make sure we demand that change, nothing is going to happen. And, and I think back to when John Hume died in, in, in July and, and um, you know, just so many quotes and so many inspirational words. And one of the things I tweeted was the fact that his, one of the, his quotes was that when you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to speak up, you have to say something, you have to do something. And for me, that's, I've tried to model my political career in that vein. What my mum installed in me was the fact that, you know, you have to speak up when you see something that's unjust. You have to speak up and help your fellow people. And that message and, and the activism from America has inspired so many black people to the fact where we have adopted a Black Lives Matter issue when we all saw that horrific video of a man being killed in broad daylight in 2020 with the killing of George Floyd, everyone was moved. And, and I think for a number of black Britons, they just thought, hang on, this isn't a situation that's just in isolation to the US. There are issues happening here in the UK that we have to now look at, why is this happening? So that sense of solidarity wasn't just because we wanted to reach out to our American brothers and sisters, it's because we know that actually there are big issues within the UK which we have to uncover. It's in everybody's interest for us to get this right, because equality for me means equality for you. Martin, I would love to come back to you and to just um, locate some of this in what's going on at the moment in the US. And obviously the elections are looming. Of course, last uh, Friday was August 28th, and we observed the 57th anniversary of the March on Washington, where my father uh, talked about how freedom, justice, and equality uh, could become real for all humankind. Very clearly, that just is not the case yet uh, in many respects. And obviously, uh, we all have seen uh, police misconduct uh, in a number of cities, even as late as just uh, a, a few days ago, um, the shooting of a black man, Jacob Blake, uh, in the back seven times, uh, just a few months after George Floyd uh, was tragically killed, which was the one incident that seemed to mobilize people all over the world. Uh, we saw the largest civil rights demonstrations on the planet, uh, not just in the United States, of course, we know, but all over uh, Europe, in Australia, uh, in South America, on the African continent. Uh, so demonstrations, the world has perhaps at least acknowledged that there is a real problem. The goal is to address the problem um, domestically and universally, which is a very big task. How do you address systematic racism in a system that has been perpetuating it for er forever. And 
what I know is when women and men come together and uh, families and different ethnic groups, I mean, I honestly, um, I was, and I think my father would be very proud of the fact that so many people all over the world, um, blacks and whites and Latinos and Hispanics and Africans, Asians, uh, Native Americans uh, came together and now are saying, yes, black lives do matter. That never is saying that other lives, all lives don't matter. But it is clear that many uh, black folk uh, certainly feel that way based on the treatment that we consistently see. And it really is just not in the United States, of course. Uh, people thought things were great in the United States. And there are wonderful things in the United States. But there's a lot of work that has to be done. Um, now, in that vein, what I will say is, in the United States, we must decide whether or not we're going to uh, elect a new president uh, who provides a different vision, or whether uh, the nation will elect uh, the current president, who certainly is divisive, who is, um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have the words to describe, because I don't like to be negative but you do have to be realistic. And realistically, we need different leadership. Thank you so much, Martin. And could I, could I also ask, your father was successfully able to build these um, coalitions of, of, of people across what might be uh, perceived as kind of like divided identities. What were some of the ways in which he was able to do that? So I think um, number one, uh, he had an unusual ability to bring people together. And it was dignity and respect. When you treat everyone with dignity and respect. The reality is all we have to do is treat people the way we want to be treated. And most of the issues will be resolved. The problem is we don't do that. We treat people sometimes like they treat us. And, you know, obviously, if the old adage, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth uh, was uh, practiced, most of us would have no eyes, more teeth. So obviously, humankind has to move to a much higher level. I think dad taught us how to move to that higher level. He taught us how to disagree without being disagreeable. But it really is about bringing people together. Uh, dad used to say, I... Um, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. I can't be what I ought to be until you're what you ought to be, and you can't be what you ought to be until I'm what I ought to be because our destinies are tied together. I think when we as a society, as a world community, understand that, then we find ways to lift up all humanity. We lift up all boats. Would you have any advice for Flo and Rebecca, who were kind of in the early part of their political careers? Well, I want to say two things, if you will. Uh, my, my father used to say the ultimate measure of a human being is not where they stand in times of comfort and convenience, but where you stand in times of challenge and controversy. Uh, he, he went on to say that we must take positions sometimes that are neither safe nor popular nor politic, but we must take those positions because our consciences tell us they're right. And so I use that every day. That helps guide those are guiding principles. But what my wife encouraged me and actually gave me uh, my wife, Andrea, said, you know, um, we must work for change. We must pray for change. We must be the change. And if love is not yet won, then the battle is not yet over.
So Rebecca, I'm going to come back to you um, and just hear to hear about some of like the big issues in Ireland at the moment. And I'm interested in uh, John Hume's position as a socialist and the fact that he did things like, you know, set up credit unions and campaign was campaigning on different social justice issues. Yeah, so I, I think one of the things that like, both civil rights movements came out of, John Hume, Martin Luther King, John Lewis, was the, at what I called like a raw cry for rights and in, in very basic rights, you know, a right to have your say over what was happening in your own community, um, access to housing, access to education. I remember a couple of years after the Good Friday Agreement, reading about John Hume and his experience doing the 11 plus. Uh, he was the first generation of people in Northern Ireland who got to do the 11 plus and allowed him to go on to a grammar school, um, which then allowed him um, to go on and get a third level education, which allowed him to go on and, and go into teaching and actually how education can change lives. So where are we at the moment in this? Um, and I, I'm sure Flo, you have exactly the same um, issues in Brixton, which I think have been very highlighted by the pandemic. But I actually think the pandemic ha has very much heightened those inequalities that we knew were there in the system, but sometimes in, 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 in the day-to-day -day political turmoil, you don't get to see them and, and address them. And so I think that those fundamental social issues of access to decent quality housing, secure employment, access to education as well, that I think has been really, really heightened. So those issues that John Hume continued for, started the civil rights movement in the North are still there. They still exist. And I, I, I think the time that we're in has highlighted how much they are still there. Um, and it's a hidden problem. Flo, could I come to you? Yeah, no, definitely. I think one of the things we've seen over the last few months is that um, the inequalities that, if we're honest, were staring us all in the face has really been exacerbated. We saw the fact that when the lockdown was implemented, the people that continued to work were the people who had to. They had no choice. They didn't have the luxury of working from home. For them, not going to work meant that there would be no home, literally. And I think what we need to look at now, on the back of this pandemic, as we're all coming out of it, is that how do we address the long-standing inequality that has existed, and if we're honest, has gotten worse over the last 10 years in, in the UK under Conservative government. And we need to look at how we clamp down on tax avoidance, and actually look at the redistribution of wealth. This pandemic has shown that we cannot go back to, to how it was. But again, for me, it's about how we continue to work in a nonviolent way in, in the ethos of both John Hume and John Lewis, continuing to put pressure on the government locally here, continue to lead and look at examples across the UK and across the world that we can learn from. And essentially, we don't want to find ourselves in the next three to four years with a government that shows no compassion for human life and a government that seems to think that racism has been solved because we have the Equality Act. We know it's not.
finish up, I'm going to um, come to Mark. Well, just listening to everything that has been said, you know, quite a number of things uh, strike me. One, I'm strongly reminded that one of John Hume's favourite quotations from Martin Luther King was, uh, progress doesn't roll in on wheels of inevitability. Uh, progress is something that has to be worked for, and you're going to have to work with others to achieve uh, progress. After John died, a lot of people talked about his single-mindedness, uh, but in all that John Hume was able to do, uh, he wasn't really single-handed. He always worked uh, with others, uh, whether it was uh, his own party, whether it was people in other parties, whether it was other political uh, players, both in Ireland uh, and internationally. It was uh, building up a currency uh, around strong ideas. And of course, John had a credibility because people knew he wasn't only asking people to back his side of the argument in Ireland. People elsewhere knew he was asking them to help uh, to make sure that there could be an agreement, a solution that would work for everyone uh, in Ireland. He didn't think there was going to be a solution without other people. That was his argument to Jerry Adams and others who justified the IRA campaign uh, of violence, that we weren't going to get a solution in Ireland against unionism or without unionism. Similarly, we weren't going to get a solution, an inclusive solution, without Sinn Féin. And that was something that a lot of people uh, found hard to take in at the start, but people who were suspicious uh, of that offer uh, of inclusion and that insistence uh, on inclusion actually came uh, to embrace it and uh, accept it. Uh, one of the ways that in negotiations John would try to approach things was to say, well, can we agree the realities of the situation? And then if we can agree a list of realities, based on those, can we agree what would then be requirements for any solution? And you can actually, from that, build up much more of a sense of common understanding uh, of how you might be within the same wavelength. Uh, for an accommodation and for a solution. But one of the things that I think the people also trusted uh, about John Hume and came to trust in John Hume was that they knew he wasn't seeking a political agreement for the sake of creating institutions so that he could then be in office, etc., etc. He was never looking for change as an end in itself. Uh, John was a great believer that change changes things. Uh, change changes how we can change things in the future. You create institutions, you create progress so that you can enable more progress, so that a new generation uh, looking at a different horizon uh, can step at a different pace and take on those uh, challenges. Uh, and of course, that's why listening to Rebecca and, and Flo has been so important uh, this evening, because we are at, I think somebody has used the phrase recently about, we're in a time between times. Now, a lot of the things that we might have taken as givens and hoped for uh, as givens in terms of a common rights platform throughout Britain and Ireland based on uh, the EU platform of social rights based on uh, European Convention of Human Rights and the Human Rights Act. That's no longer a shared uh, given. You know, Rebecca and Flo are going to be uh, having to champion the needs of a generation that are going to be confounded by all of the post-COVID, all of the post-Brexit uh, realities and challenges that are going to be there, sort of the ABC generation. There are challenges and choices uh, facing that uh, generation which require real positive leadership. Uh, and that's why it's been so healthy to hear Flo and Rebecca uh, speak this evening in ways that I think echo the John Lewis's and the John Humes uh, of this world. 
Thank you so much for that conversation. It really felt like a tonic for our very divided times. And thank you so much to everybody who's tuned in to listen as well. There will be more from the Irish Labour Society and from Common Ground very soon. So please do join again.